Oh, ladies and gentlemen, fresh off of an epic family house party session, we're going to the West Coast, Jeremy Johnson, part eight, kitchen quarantine. You might get a little Cindy Harrington tonight, this evening as well. She's grimacing at me as I say it. Filibuster freestyle. We are so excited. Here comes the theme song. Filibuster, filibuster freestyle. Filibuster, filibuster Watch freestyle. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster. Freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. It's the filibuster freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. Oh, ladies and gents, part eight. Kitchen quarantine Jeremy Johnson joins us from the Subaru Sound Booth, unofficial sponsor of the week. JJ, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Can't complain, as I just told you on the extremely brief pre-show. Cindy Harrington and I had a nice conversation on the House Party app with my brother, his wife, some cousins, their wives and husbands, etc. Great to catch up with the fam on a Friday night. It's 10 o'clock in the east, 7 o'clock in the west. I'm just here to do a little kitchen quarantine. I feel amazing. That's great. What are you drinking tonight? Aside from my raspberry lime stop and shop seltzer water? Yeah. Well, some would say the artist formerly known as Cindy Harrington and I drank a bottle of kava. Ooh. And they would be correct. Ooh. But hey, Trader Joe's is the grocery store, but a little place in South Boston called American Provisions is the place that we get the kava from. Wonderful stuff. Local, good stuff. We enjoy it. You know, local's the way these days. Um, a lot of these places are going to go under if we don't give them some money. So, you know, it's a big part of the the strategy here is to kind of keep everybody's lights on. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we, we're we, talking about things that we miss about pre-quarantine. I guess it would just be like the mobility and the freedom to like spend money and do things, you know, for kicks without having to think about it. Yep. But, um, you know, for us, like aside from sushi, the only places that we are getting any sort of takeout from or doing any business with um, food-wise are uh, the the same like three places we went to before um, this happened we complain about how we never go to anywhere new because we live in this great city with all these great restaurants but you know we're we're middle-aged and we have a kid and we barely get out and when we do sometimes we just want to sit down to a great meal where everybody knows your name so those are the places we're spending our money at yeah i wonder how the uh the high-end highfalutin restaurants are going to do because even though they have a brand loyalty, it's not like, it's not the same as a little neighborhood restaurant or a little neighborhood shop. You know, those are a big part of the fabric of our lives. Totally agree. Um, and honestly, I think we've picked like five or six places, maybe four or five places, tops that that we've chosen to support during these last eight or nine weeks, right? And yeah. you're looking at, you know, a breakfast place, the Galley Diner on P Street in South Boston. You look at the Sea Point, which has been around for a long time, and that's on what Covington Street in South Boston. You're looking at a couple other places. So yeah, we're not going to Davio's anymore. We're not going to Del Frisco's anymore. They're all closed. And so right. the, pl- the local places that can pivot to take out food, 
that's where we're going. And yeah, we're definitely trying to do our part to keep them alive because we would love for them to exist in perpetuity <laughs> um, after this all ends because, you know, there's a good chance 25% plus the restaurants that we all enjoyed five months ago are gone. Yeah, and um, I think 25% may be even low. Very low. A low estimate yes. um, as time goes on because if 25% of the population can use, continues to be unemployed, right. um, it becomes a house of cards because all of the market share numbers that we would read and hear about when um, they're discussing financial markets on in articles and on the news, um, those markets all shrink and contract. So it becomes more of a feeding frenzy and the strong survive. Correct. And there's less opportunity for innovation and there's less opportunity for um, new investment because nobody wants to invest any money in anything because there's no certainty, which has always been America's strongest um, asset, in my opinion, was its stability. So now, thankfully, on a national level, our country is not the only place facing this right now. So um, maybe we can all rise together later. But... um, I don't know about that. We'll see. Yeah, that's a what we call a TBD <laughs> in your yeah. business. So tonight's episode is really dedicated to things we miss um, from pre-quarantine days. Not saying we can't get into any recipes and things that you've been doing or others have been doing. Man, cook goods in the house as always. Um, but I'll, I'll just start it off. I mean, here's one thing I miss going lowbrow, but... You know, my brother and I yesterday, we went down to the Cape. We did some yard work at the family cottage um, because the family doesn't, we, we, we don't do, we don't do landscapers. We just send down whoever can mow the lawn. Um, but whether it's getting crummy seafood at a Cape Cod place or whether it's getting, you know, a pizza and splitting a pizza, you can't sit down in the restaurant anymore. You know, you, you know, so you, you don't even go anymore because even though they're still open for takeout, like, what are you going to eat it on the trunk of your car? And you could, but you're kind of like, why don't we just wait till later in the summer when we're actually here and just go back to the house? So I miss the crummy pizza sharing. I miss the yard work and the seafood, you know, just the little things you take for granted. Like, oh, we're going to get a $25 lobster roll. We're going to split it. It's super fresh. It's super great. It's excellent. And we just mowed, you know, we just mowed along. We pruned the hedges. We did all the de facto yard work. Let's reward ourselves. And you know what? Like, it's not even worth it anymore right now. You know, and I miss that. Well, I just think that that, uh, everything is the little things. You know, we are, we're social. We like to be around other people, even though we don't necessarily want those people to talk to us. Um, It's it's good energy to be around people. People watching is something that I miss. Yeah. um, For sure. Uh, and you know, I've noticed when I, when I go out or I've been doing a bunch of work in the downstairs of our apartment building, so I'm at street level and, um, people are, uh, looking at you, you know? Yeah. Like, what are you doing out there? You look at each other like, hi, like we're, where we say hello and, but like everybody's kind of looking at everybody. Part of it is the, is the, are you wearing a mask? You're not wearing a mask vibe. I think, but part of it is just like, hey there, fellow person yeah. who I am no- normally talking to right now, you know, <laughs> like, 
we're, we've talked to all our neighbors in the building next door. We've, we've, I just actually spoke to the, um, the matriarch of the Chinese family that lives in the single family home next to our apartment building, who is pretty much radio silence for the last 10 years. Huh. Like they barely even look in our building's direction and, you know, they're doing their thing and I'm sure they just would rather not deal, but she and I just had a talk just, you know, even, even they're getting uh, a little antsy. So the people watching and the talking and I just, I can't wait to give every one of my friends a big old French kiss on the mouth. No, you do that, right? it would be, I mean, I'll tell you what, <laughs> people are talking about how handshakes are never going to come back. Fair. French kissing random humans might be a thing. Who knows? Hey, you know, I mean, your your reaction to coronavirus uh, fall along your demographic chart, and um, the people that generally make out with strangers um, out in places that are like COVID um, contagion rooms called bars. I'm just going to bars, by the way. Yeah. Um, they um, they probably will still make out. They don't care. They don't know how to handle their liquor anyway. And um, they're terminally invincible. They're not scared of nothing. That's true. You got nothing to lose. You got everything in front of you. Everything seems like you got it all figured out. Yeah, you'll make out with anyone. By the way, to bring that up, we think we, we had a random sighting tonight in Southie. So, you know, in Southie, all the triple-deckers back up to each other, right? So right. on the back decks, that's where you do, that's where you socialize in general, and especially during social distancing, the only open air is your back deck. So tonight, our downstairs neighbor gave a, uh, a tip that there might be a social distancing date happening on the first floor of the building next to us. So we checked yeah. it out, little voyeurism, little, you know, how do you date a stranger in the times of COVID? You hang on your back deck six feet apart and see if you, ch- see if you, you know, you want to take the next step into quarantine together or not, I guess. Yeah. I'm really how glad I'm married. Think, I'm really glad I'm married. How do, you, uh, how do you negotiate that conversation? So if it's not, you know, potentially awkward enough of a conversation, like, oh, uh, do you, you know, uh, so you and what, and I, and, you know. You got uh, the roving? You know, um, yeah, like, do you, should we go to your place or you know like like do you want to uh i guess my mother said this is kind of like when um hiv came out um everybody was really focused on who'd been tested who hadn't been tested um maybe there's some comparability there you know a little bit the no overwhelming response that i got when i posed the question what do you miss most about um things before corona which i think I implied or people assumed it was food-related, which... Yes, yes. Um, it was sushi, uh, so... Agreed. That really worries me because sushi restaurants here, they're so good, there's so many of them, and um, if that's what people are saying across the board, then like a lot of those places are going to go under. Simple right, because no one's been doing it, right? No one's been getting any takeout sushi. And it just breaks my heart. Oh, it sucks. I mean, literally, hardcore, just terrible. I feel like this is one of those situations where, like, the facts, the medical facts and the, the facts on the ground may actually support getting sushi because of the, the you know, care in which it's handled and the, um, the general cleanliness of a sushi chef in general. Um, 
and if you could talk to the people at the um, restaurant about like their sick policies and are they doing temps and wearing masks and everything um, it may be just as safe as anything else but we just have no real way of doing that so um, we just skip it yeah and to your point a lot of people miss sushi you know what I'm getting a lot of um, and I pose this question too and I'm feeling it and if I'm feeling it as like a power user for the kitchen um, a lot of other people have to be feeling it too is fatigue cooking fatigue yeah I saw and, you um, mention that today like I'm just it, it's it's like a thing and, and um, people are worn out and they're, they're ordering takeout more I was looking at some studies like takeout numbers are going back up and um, people are just tired of eating their own food and they're tired of doing all the labor that's associated with it and the planning and the thinking and the, you know, what do we have? What do we not have? What, what can I, what do I even know how to make, you know? And, and um, in our modern society, we're not uh, prepared to cook seven days a week, three meals a day at home. And our taste and our um, variety that we become accustomed to does not portend well to that. No. Um, you can get a, uh, a bowl of poke for lunch, and you can get a, um, you know, a Peruvian bowl of soup for dinner, and the next morning you can go out and get chilaquiles, and you've been on, you know, three continents, and your dining choices and three meals, and uh, suddenly you're, like, the last Great Depression, you're just happy to have some some uh, soup or stew with something in it over um, yeah, some rice would be nice or porridge or anything, you know. And now we're like, well, I mean, I really do like that um, crispy rice and spicy tuna, and I love the yellowtail from this place, and we are just way more um, global in our tastes and our variety yep. as a people, and it gives it more to miss. We're not just having pot roast and potatoes um, five meals a week, you know. Totally and will that, you know, how, how does this all shake out? We don't know, but will there be a short to medium to long term potential um, absence of variety and um, and uh, innovation because people aren't going to really have it together to start new places? And if the old places shut down, then we're not really going to be. Um, Overwhelmed with people investing money into a marketplace that may be closed by the order of one county official on any moment. That's fair. I will say, though, back to your point about this global taste, I just think people will be like, where am I going to get Peruvian soup? And, you know. Well, you make it. No, agree. And that's where I'm at. Yeah, totally. And that's part of why I started cooking so much is because I really enjoyed good food and I really enjoyed, you know, a lot of different uh, cuisines. And um, uh, it's like self-defense. Like, I want to eat, like, I want to eat this stuff. I want to try it. I'm sure I can make it. You know, what do you got to do to make it? And you start poking around and you realize, like, you can make all this stuff. I mean, some things are really high technique and some things take an enormous amount of prep and cleanup. But... Um, there's very few things that you could eat out that you can't make at home um, on a comparable level, especially if you have the courage to put enough butter and salt into it, you know? 100%. 
It's um, all butter and salt. We've already, we've already covered this, but it's all butter and salt. And fat and salt, you know. No doubt. But people are, um, you know, I ask people for their pointers on um, what to do to kind of break the um, break the blues with their um, cooking and the fatigue. And um, got a lot of people saying ordering takeout, um, drinking. Uh, you <laughs> and others, um, you know, say make a ton of food and then use leftovers. Like, for instance, um, I got some lamb from a friend of mine, Coffee nice. and Kisses. She made a five-pound piece of lamb, shawarma, Ooh. and they're doing Mediterranean food Love all it. week with that stuff, you know? No, um, a million percent. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you just... Once is a can of emergency SpaghettiOs. Um, another one, making more than I need in freezing meals when I don't feel like cooking. You know, I mean, that's kind of it um, in terms of the types of replies. One thing I would suggest is like, um, you know, pick up a type of food you've never cooked. Like I've done it. I've made Asian food in the past, but like trying to make like Chinese takeout uh, level um Chinese food at home and stir fries and noodles and stuff. Um, fart around with something like that that you don't have a lot of experience with, but um, you're, you know, you're a fan of the food, you know? Absolutely. And back to sushi. Hey, you're getting bored with cooking and eating and cleaning and whatever. Go buy some nice fish and make sushi. Read an article, watch a YouTube video and make sushi. Yeah, all right, your sushi place down the road is better. But, you know, if you're into it, which I am, buy some sake. You know, look at, if you're, here's a tip. If you're going to go to a Japanese grocery store to buy sake or Japanese ingredients, yeah, look on your, look on your phone or tablet or computer, um, like, common brands of the ingredients that you're looking for. Because you walk into some of these places and you're looking at, uh, 95% um, Japanese characters for the brands that they're selling. So it's like, oh, I need a hoisin sauce. And like, you find the one that says hoisin sauce in the, in the serif laden font. And you're like, huh, that looks like it's gringo hoisin sauce. I bet huh. you that these 16 are way better, but I can't tell the difference to any of them because they're all in Japanese. You know, if it's hoisin sauce. So, um, you know, make a type of food you're not that comfortable making um, and make it a few times and make it in bulk and you'll keep your uh, keep your family fed. Yeah, the bulk move is great. We actually were the beneficiaries of some nice, well, many things, including a roast on Sunday from Cindy, mm. Cindy's mom. And I took it the next couple of days and I made some sourdough bread, put the roast on top of it, Cheddar cheese, oregano, melt it in the oven, open face sandwiches, bing, bang, boom. I had lunch three days in a row. Right. And there's nothing about that lunch that left you dissatisfied. No, I was incredibly satisfied. How much oregano do you think you're going through uh, in the course of a month? And how does that connect to your Triscuit usage? I would say this. Two separate answers. Uh, very little oregano to Triscuit overlap. Right. That being said, that, makes sense. that being said, a lot of triscuits, a lot of oregano. <laughs> they might be the two things that don't mix because I, I basically will mix oregano or triscuits with anything. 
But for some reason, never the, never the two shall meet. Cindy, I think I a hot and a hot melted Triscuit nacho, um, non Mexican flavored nacho. Uh, you you can maybe make like a Greek Triscuit nacho. Um, yeah, yeah. With oregano. No, it's a great idea. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying, answering your question honestly, I've not yet done it. Um, oregano is one of those um, MVP spices for me. It crosses into different um, it's just types so of food. Great. I love oregano or marjoram, which is very close to it, um, on roasted chicken a yeah. lot. I love it. There's something about that uh, crispy skin with the oregano. Uh, you know, at that point, it's powdered because it's so cooked. It's yes. like dried. It just kind of explodes into a, a herb powder. And um, if I'm left to my own devices and just, you know, making whatever, it, like chicken on the bone or something, it's salt, pepper, and oregano. That's no, it. No doubt. It's all, it's all you effing need, as they say. You know? It's all you need, bro. It's all you need. Todos, man. So listen, there's a part of me that wants to start a challenge where once a week I make a dish featuring whatever's in it plus Triscuits and oregano. And like, you know, up to well, 50% of the ingredients are Triscuits and oregano. I think that you could you could work that out, especially if you included snacks, you know. But that did, that does, you know, miraculously bring me to one of my next tips to surviving. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, cooking fatigue is um, give yourself these little challenges. So, like, Definitely. if you, you've watched reality television, um, sure any have. competition reality show, the entire premise behind it is you, you put a bunch of people into a situation and you give them some rules and you apply some pressure and they, um, they react. And some people rise to the top right. and so like, really up. demonstrate skill and creativity. And some people um, completely melt down and blubber and cry and um and we get entertaining television correct so um you know you want to make your cooking more interesting say all right you know what i'm gonna go um i'm gonna go vegetarian for monday and tuesday or i'm going to um cook with pork and only pork um i'm going to like what i'm doing right now and this is a dual purpose uh, exercise I'm going to this little um, market around the corner. It's um, it's a Mexican uh, bodega mart, and um, they've got a butcher counter. They've got a little produce um, wall. They've got you know a, a limited pantry of canned and boxed goods, great tortillas and great um, and great tortilla chips and some fruit. And in an effort to save money and also to kind of like experiment with like how much money can we um, spend on food every month um, and also just to limit myself to uh, a very specific pantry. Like, let's see what I can do for a month by cooking out of that market. And I don't know if I can keep it up the whole way, but we're a weekend and everything I've cooked either came from our existing pantry or the little corner store around the corner. Nice. Um, and that has like kind of rejuvenated my um, my feeling about making a meal and revitalized me a little bit because I have to think again, you know? Yes. I'd be like, how do I make Greek food tonight while shopping at a Mexican market? And Very carefully. Of, of course you can do it. But yeah, it's definitely. like, you really got to like, think it through and um 
Or like I, I started an herb garden like a month ago. And um, tonight I was like, well, I had this incredible steak from a, a place called Flannery Beef that my friend orders a bunch from. And he gave me um, a dry aged grade A prime ribeye from a place called Flannery Beef. And it's like, wow, one of the best steaks of my life. And I'm looking at my kitchen thinking like, well, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? And um, I think about the chives down in the garden downstairs. And those chives lead me to baked potatoes, which is obvious in retrospect. But I wasn't really there yet. And, um, you know, I, I followed my herb garden to dinner. Like give yourself some some rules and some parameters and some some obvious choices. Buy too much of something and then have to figure out a way to work around it. Yep. Um, and see if you can you can make it interesting again. Just just for you know, and then then you go back to whatever you're normally doing. You may even miss what you were normally doing because by then you're a little irritated by the change. Correct. And as you know, as a group of people who are in day 63 of quarantine, week eight, part eight. Like, these are the little mental games you got to play with yourself to keep yourself sharp, keep yourself ready, keep yourself interested. I love it. This is a men- this has become a mental exercise. Oh, I yeah. said this to Chloe last night. Because, um, and this is for many people that are in my general group. Of course, there's people suffering way harder or having, you know, ignoring it and having a great time. But... It's a mental, it's an exercise in uh, stamina and in um, mental focus and uh, steadiness and stability and just trying to maintain and maintain a good headspace and get your sleep and not drink too much or too frequently and like really like trying to balance yourself because we don't have the excuses left anymore, Gav. We're not getting up for work at 4.30 in the morning. We're not right. dealing with that two-hour commute. We can't complain about being worn down because this, you know, F-word, A-word was in front of me and slamming on its brakes and now I'm exhausted and, you know. No, we got None nothing but the mirror and the people that we live with. And we have to address our relationships and we have to address ourselves. And if we don't, then this is going to be even harder. So, like... Part of the stability that I found is the food, and it's also the thing that, like, after now sixty something days, I'm getting a little tired of it. But thank <laughs> God, it's 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 grilling time now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know, I switched. I've also haven't cooked a dinner inside in almost two weeks. And isn't that nice? So yeah. So you know, I found another little mental game to play with myself, and it takes some of the um, pressure off of it. You know. Absolutely. And that's all you can do. Hey, I got a, I got a question for you. Where does man cook good go for grocery shopping? And I know you go everywhere, but where's your like, where's your like go to spot when you, when you, when you fill the fridge? Where do you go? Pre, pre COVID. No, well, sure, pre COVID and now, now current, current COVID, both. Well, you know, pre COVID, paycheck every Thursday, um, living within our means. We basically went to um, one of the Whole Foods near us, yeah. and we shopped there. Nice. Um, in recent months, uh, we had been doing the Vons, which is a you know standard consumer level grocery store. 
it's closest to us more and more frequently. But when it was my turn to, you know, go shop for everything and, and buy like ins- food that's going to inspire me to make something interesting, uh, for the table, um, I go to Whole Foods because I walk in there and I know exactly what they have. Yeah. I know that they're going to have, um, what I want in, um, abundance. I know that the quality and the life of the animal was as good as I can expect from a, a grocery store. Sure. And the, um, and I know how to work around how expensive they are by buying yeah. things that are not, you know, touched by them you basically just have to buy the ingredients if it's in a box or a bag or it's been cut or you know you have to pay labor costs and then profit on top of that labor and you automatically are paying like 30 percent more or whatever a markup on anything that's been touched or processed so um especially at a whole foods like if you go to like your standard supermarket and go to the the freezer section it's not even an aisle i mean the amount of like processed frozen foods and boxed foods that are being sold, um, it's staggering. But they're all like commodity food. When you go to a Whole Foods, especially in an affluent area, everything is like organic and gluten free <laughs> and like coconut oil. And these are all premium ingredients. And they're being made in a way that, you know, is probably just as crappy as everything else, but they're spending extra money on packaging and extra money on graphic design people. And their their marketing is, like, really, like, creative because they're trying to stand out in a crowded space. And um, it's a premium product for people with money, so they just charge you up the butt, you know. And as soon as you're buying stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I like Trader Joe's and all. Like, I appreciate it. And I, I definitely don't um, knock people at shop at Trader Joe's. I totally get it. But um, everything in there is processed and made, pretty much. Sure. Um, it's a hard it's a hard way to go about it if you're just trying to buy, you know, the food as it is. They have a very small produce section. That's right. Everything's wrapped in plastic. Um, their meat section is pretty good, but it's all like, you know, the way that their their profit model is structured. Like they don't have like a guy in the back cutting on the on a no. you know butcher right. block. Right. You know, they're they're wrapping in plastic and sending it out from a central place. Correct. That's fair. Um, hey, do you, do you want to hear what we did tonight to get back to what we missed? I do. So, back in 2003, my first exposure to Brookline Village, in beautiful Brookline, Massachusetts, a place called the Village Smokehouse. It has never changed. However, at some point in the last five years that I was in North Carolina, they changed their name to the Magnolia Smokehouse. But when you go in there, still the exact same gosh darn place. Same menus. Same. Everything. They just decided to change the name. So The same owners, too? Yeah, as far as I know. Because literally uh, everything's the exact same, including the, the incredibly tasty food. So Cindy and I, right before the pandemic hit, we went in there one night because we were trying to go somewhere else. Matt Murphy's Pub, also in Brookline Village. It was too full. It was around Valentine's Day. So I said, hey, this place is okay. Let's go in there. We'll get a drink. We'll go home. And we saw some of these, these chicken nachos, pulled pork nachos. They look so good, whatever. And then obviously COVID hit. And so we were like, oh, we'll come back here next month. And the next thing thing you know, next month turns into four months later, right? So tonight, my brother lives over that way. I went for a run. I ran over there. I met him in the park, whatever. I said, Cindy, come over, pick me up in Brookline. I'll call it in. We'll get some takeout. Village Smokehouse, a.k.a. Magnolia Smokehouse. We got Village Wings, dry rub style. Thank you very much. 
Village nachos, chicken, thank you very much, and a brisket sandwich with french fries. And I'm going to use my one swear of the night, everybody. God damn it, it was fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, that sounds great. So gosh darn good. You know something I, I just had, I've noticed Woo! in a couple of situations. Sorry, go ahead. Is um, the restaurant and processed food in general, um, it tastes like amazing. I mean, like. I mean, we're back. I, I had some cheddar onion <laughs> lace potato chips yesterday. Oh, thank and, you. Like, I haven't, like. I haven't been eating anything except for like, you know, we've gotten takeout like five times. Sure. And, you know, I cook, I season my food as well as I can and it's got a lot of salt in it and I use olive oil a lot and all that, but like, wow, were those potato chips good. Think about it, dude. They engineer that food in laboratory. In a laboratory. For years and years to get the human response to be, give me more of that. I can't stop eating it. And yeah. think about it, back, back in the day when you and I used to drive around in Worcester and your Saturn view, 2001 style, and we would get like flaming Hot Cheetos and stuff, we were just enjoying the engineered food that they were giving us, right? And now oh, we, we loved it. We'd listen to popular radio yeah. and drink soda and eat chips and not wake up feeling crappy, you know, seven hours later. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it was 100% <laughs> you know, great. It was 100% great. Just appreciating, like, man, these Cool Ranch Doritos are good. Yeah, and so you eating, eating chips that are manufactured to be great, even though they're crappy for you, in this pandemic, good for you. I've gotten in and out twice. Oh, good for you. And, like, I mean, I, I like, the first bite I took of that in and out, I could have cried. I was like, this is <laughs> one of the best things I've ever eaten. Um, like, I can't believe how good this thing is. I want, like, six of them. And I would have eaten them, and I would have regretted it for, you know, days to come. But, you know, like, these, these places, they get, you know, like, I walk by me with a Chick-fil-A bag, and I generally find Chick-fil-A very overrated. Yes. And um, really um, distasteful, you know, just on its nose. But I saw that, that classic logo on a paper bag walking by me, and I was like, hey, what's up, dude? Where are you going? I want some of that honey mustard and some fried chicken. Absolutely. Let's talk about the In-N-Out Burger near the old Sports Harbor in Culver City, California, which is the first place I ever had the great In-N-Out. Speaking of things I miss, the year was 2003. I was out there. I had heard about it. I'd seen it in the Big Lebowski. I knew it existed, and I walked over from that place where you had me staying with Chuck's roommate, Brendan. Is that his name? Brandon, happy birthday, Brandon. Oh, good, good Lord. Kismet. Good for him. Serendipity. Happy birthday. And I would walk over to that one, that Illinois Burger, over there in Culver City by the Sports Harbor, and gosh darn it, it was amazing. And that Sports Harbor was uniquely positioned oh, between an In-N-Out, which um, the smell of beef and grilled onions is really powerful. It travels over a mile, yes. and it's, it's really intoxicating. And... Um, then to the back of it was a donut shop yes. and the guy would be making donuts, you know, um, and pastries at about the time the bar got out. Yes. The sweet so smell. Yes. You'd be outside smoking your parliaments and, you know, acting wicked cool and you're smelling those glazed donuts and the 
onions and the beef and like oh my god it's a tough place to hang out at until last call because inevitably you'd leave and you would uh, go and get some food man <laughs> you would either uh, get that, a donut or you go to in and out or if I'm not mistaken wasn't there a Del, Del Taco near there too there is uh, Del yeah. Taco the poisonous the poisonous drinking food oh. um, so in and out in the uh, times of COVID is like um, they are so dialed in. I don't know. I mean, they're they're one of the first takeouts we got, and Not I was like, I trust In and Out's process implicitly. Not surprised. Like they they have they're already like a machine, like an institutional machine there, and they they run people in and out, and they just print money all day long. They turn beef and onions into money and potatoes. And and good for them. Those people, they're all on display, so they're used to working clean. Um, they all have good company morale, every in and out I've ever been to. They um, appear to enjoy their job. They care enough about their job to pretend like they're having a good time. Exactly. Um, they're all very skilled at their, their little jobs that they have to do as part of the assembly line and enthusiastic generally about their movements. And they immediately rolled out, like, uh, drive through and pickup only. We've got people, like staggered down the street taking your orders with with uh, tablets yeah wow. so by the time you get up to the window they're just like here's your food <laughs> bye <And laughs> there's there's no touch there's no like the people taking your order six feet away they're wearing masks face shields like they're outdoors like the people inside are just like here you go you know and they just hand you your bag or they're leaning away from you everyone inside is like just cranking along like normal and they're probably loving it because there's nobody in the dining room acting like a fool and they're just like just still and there's there's lines i mean every in and out is a traffic disaster waiting to happen at lunchtime and dinner time and after you know around like midnight correct every in and out in the in the world is a is a is a hazard a traffic hazard but I, I drove by our local one um, at about six o'clock the other day, and there were at least, I'd say, sixty cars, maybe eighty cars lined up. Beautiful, and I'll Down tell the you street, what, around the corner, people were fired up. For that, you know. And I'll tell you what, you already hit on it. The last thing that In and Out needs are the people who hang out and actually eat in their friggin' lobby. Yeah, I know. Like, they don't have. They don't need it. They really don't. Like they need takeout and drive-through, and that's that's not two thirds of the business. That's like ninety-nine percent of the business. They don't need. I'm sure their sales are down and a little. How much? But not that much, right? I guess you just can't turn it over as fast with only one point of sale. Sure. You know, sure, so sure, like sure. when you've got three registers open and you're processing people in a line. Then you're making money from those points. When you've got one drive-through window open, you're just you can only make so many burgers and sell them at a time. You know you can't sell ten double doubles at a time because there's only one window. It's no, that's 100 percent true. But I do think that they are. It sounds like they're very ready for the challenge. They're going to keep their lights on. I don't think in and out, so we got to worry about exactly. Anything else you miss that you want to cover tonight? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty you miss, uh, but you want to cover tonight. I just, I just miss, like, not having this, like, 
feeling like uh, weight on my chest all the time. That's fair. That's I, I miss that the most. That's fair. And just having everything be kind of taken for granted, and thinking that our our um, political conversation um, was at a, a potential resolution and it wasn't getting worse. Um, and uh, I don't know, you know, but we'll see. Maybe we'll sort it out. Maybe we've really we've really screwed the pooch here as a nation, and uh, we've got some choices to make. And maybe we can uh, maybe we can slow down our rent our rate of uh, divide and um, our rate of demise by thinking things through a little bit. That'd be huge. That would be huge. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Like that would be huge. Just answering the call, ringing the bell, saying, "Yep, <laughs> let's figure this out." You got to meet the moment. That's our governor said that a lot. I think he's trying to coin it, and um, and it, it, it's a good it's a good phrase. It works. Yeah, I tell you what, why not? Right. Well, gotta meet the moment. And it's amazing. I was talking to a guy earlier today, work related call. Um. And yeah, it's, you know, everybody's talking about it. You know, uh, we've, we've found a way to politicize getting sick. Wow. We had a good run where we were in all in this together. Yep. It was a nice three and a half and, weeks, uh, seven and a half weeks, whatever it was. People, um, people started getting, uh, you know, carved off by the wolves of society looking for the the sick and the weak and the, the slow and the, the dim-witted and um, the angry and the restless and the scared and the powerless. And um, let's get everybody all whipped up into a frenzy here and try to take advantage of it. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. But I heard that the, uh, the $3 trillion, trillion dollar, um, bill... Uh, just passed the house trillion dollars three of them oh my god and um, that has unemployment and stimulus provisions that would extend this um, financial safety net uh, considerably into the future and I know that um, the Republicans have to tell everyone how much they hate it and then make changes to it to match what they want and then tell everyone how it's their bill now and that way the president can sign it and it won't be Pelosi's bill. But I do think that um, when the head of the um, of the Fed is going on the news right after the president threatens to veto that bill and saying, go big or we are done, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, go big. Let's go for it. And uh, I think that when you're getting that kind of advice from people that already like got us mostly financially out of the last great recession um so they knew how to they've got some muscle memory there in terms of um crisis management and um one of the things i read out of this was like hey next time there's a big economic collapse the answer is not austerity we've learned you know and that's what happened 10 years ago everything got cut everyone got you know the the net fell out from underneath everyone and um the places that stimulated the economy and carried people through the low point are the ones that recovered faster right. and um, with the least amount of bottom fallout. So I think that there's a chance that um, we may actually get a financial bill that will allow people 
who um, choose to protect themselves and their family and their friends um, to stay home, um, even if their work is no longer um, deemed non-essential. Mm-hmm. So that may be a good thing. We'll see. Could be, man. I got to hope. I got hope for that. All right, yeah. cool, man. Well, listen, this was a nice little trip down memory lane. What we miss, what we're doing about it. We don't know the week nine topic, but we do know there will be a week nine. We do. We're grilling next week. Are we grilling? Oh, we're having a cookout. Oh, baby, baby. I love it. Oh, yeah. We may even do like a two, three-part series on cookouts. Are we going to be grilling for like the next month? We are grilling. Oh, that's Wait, wait is it the beginning of a month? What day is it? All right, it's May 15th. Okay. Yeah, well, but so. you know what? Here's what we're doing. We're going right into Memorial Day, which is grilling season, especially back here, you back here in the East. And we're going right into June, man. We'll take this thing all the way to Flag Day if we have to. We're going. We're going grilling. We're going to go. Um, we're going to pick a new topic each week. Uh, we're going to throw some vegetarian grilling in there too, and uh, we're going to get into barbecue, and we're going to get into skewers. We're going to get into ways to use your grill as a as a kitchen instead of just a grill. Oof. And uh, we are going to break down like different ways to get stuff back and forth to the porch and like how to plan it out and just oh. really how to crush it on the grill and stay out of your kitchen. That excites get me. Get things interesting again. That really excites me. And tell you what, everybody, ladies and gentlemen listening, I just found out what the next few weeks are going to be about. And I'm the host of the show. This is amazing. But it's that's a great topic, and it's endless. It's a and I love live it. read. It's a live read. Grilling, everybody. Grilling. Unofficial sponsor of the week, Kingsford Charcoal. <laughs> that's how we back into that. All right, JJ, stick around for a minute. We will catch you up. Great job tonight, as always. Man Cook Good is where you can find Jeremy on Instagram, at Man Cook Good. Ask him questions. Show him what you're cooking. Everywhere in between, he's happy to help. FilibusterFreestyle.com, Deezer, Spotify, you know where to find us. We love you. We appreciate it. JJ, thanks for being on tonight, my man. Thank you. Everybody else, have a good evening.